please recognize that if you have a question, if you need a short preamble, that's fine. But please stick to the question as closely as possible and make it as short as possible. There's a microphone over by Knut there. Hi, my name is uh, Knut Peterson. Uh, since I'm already here, I might as well ask a question. <laughs> Brian, could you fill us in on uh, what, what percentage of the of the barley production in Western Canada goes to export, and where does the feed industry stand on the topic of Canadian wheat board versus uh, free marketing? Okay, now. Uh, are you talking uh, barley, or are you talking feed wheat? Yeah, or? yeah barley. What, what percentage okay. of the barley production is, is exported, which would be different from the combined okay. total, of course? And, and where does the feed industry stand on, on the Canadian wheat board? Okay, well, I'll talk a little bit. Barley is uh, – the one thing that wasn't in my bio is I am president of the Western Barley Growers Association, so uh, barley's near and dear to my heart. It's always been an integral part of our farm. Um, the average production of uh, barley in Western Canada is usually around between 9 and 10 million tons. Um, the last few years, we're in a real bind right now because last year our production was less than 6 million. And it's put a, it's put a lot of pressure, especially on the malt industry, and I didn't get to that in my slides. But when you talk about exports... Um, most of the barley grown in Western Canada would be a two-row variety, which is a malt variety. Of that, about 20% is selected for malt, for making beer, and the other 80% would be for, for feed usage. <clears throat> when you talk export, um, as far as feed exports go, the wheat board uh, will flat out tell you this, is, this year is is uh, unusual in that with the drought in Russia and Ukraine, Saudi Arabia is not able to access their normal uh, supply of feed grains from those two countries. So they've had uh, the wheat board, in uh, giving credit to the wheat board, have stepped into that market and, and are marketing our barley into that. So we're going to see a significant increase of uh, feed barley through the board just because of that. Uh, but normally the wheat board handles very little feed barley because they're not competitive uh, with the Lethbridge feed price. Uh, when it comes to malt, of course, all malt has to go through the board. So that 20% we're talking about would be handled by the board. How much would go for export? Uh, I don't have the figures on that. Our major targets for malt barley are China and Japan. Um, as far as domestic use on the, on the malt barley, um, I would say... I just speculating about half and half. Good. Please give your uh, name. My name is Frank Toth, Mr. Otto. I I, I got I'm one sorry. more okay. one more part to answer. You're talking about how how does the uh, feed industry accept my point of view? Um, interesting that you would say that. Um, the Western Barley Growers Association is trying to put together a study on the barley industry in Western Canada because of the situation that we're facing and the steady decline in acres from 19, uh, 1998 to now. It's been a steady, if you look at a chart, it's been a steady decline of about 
from a, the high of 11.5 million acres down to less than 6 million last year. So we approached the industry. We said, we've got to do something here. And we want to, what we want to do is do a strategic review of the barley industry. And we went to all the players in the value chain. That's the feed industry, the malt industry, the brewers, the grain handlers, uh, the farmers, uh, everybody involved in that value chain. We said, this is what we want to do. We got letters of support from everyone in the industry. Everybody realizes that if we don't get this fixed, our barley industry is in significant trouble. And that includes the feeding industry because they rely on our barley, especially here in Lethbridge. And I know they're bringing in uh, larger amounts of distillers' grains, but that does not meet their full ration supply in these feedlots. They can only use so much of it. So the barley industry is very important to our feeding industry, especially here in southern Alberta. Another side note, out of all the barley grown in western Canada, over 50% of it is grown in Alberta. So it's a very major player in the Alberta economy. Okay, next question. Uh, again, my name is Frank Toth. I, uh, Mr. Otto, yes. I was directly involved in what you're talking about. When I got out of the Air Force, my wife had worked for a, a little farmer with six, six, seven sections of land in Milk River, about 20 miles about what you're talking about, Milk River and Warner, all right? We farmed with two 35-horsepower tractors, a WD-40, and a U, U uh, Minneapolis, all right? We did seven sections of land while you people had the locomotives, big Wagners like steam engines, 20 miles away. And we never sprayed anything. He'd kill anybody that come near his place with a fertilizer. The birds were still there. The caterpillars were still combining soil, so to call. And... What I'm saying basically is how are the machinery corporations got to farmers and ranchers by the nose? Number two, you never said one word about the stock market. The biggest gamblers in the world are bidding on your product. On the sow bellies, they don't even know what it is. How that affects your prices. Uh, secondly, you had never said anything about the, uh, how the United States has subsidized their farmers so they can afford to sell it cheaper. You never send anything but those three. How do those three items affect you? Thank you. Okay, you're talking about the size of the farm and the machines we use? Number one. Yeah. And, and what the problem is there? The problem is that you're spending $4 million on equipment like you got there while they're running their farmers uh, 10 years ago still with $80,000 tractors and doing the job because they know how to farm, because they had special noble blades that preserved the soil, but uh, they, did, they wouldn't allow spraying to kill the birds, to kill the, you know, to kill the grasshoppers. That poisons everything. You tell me if you got any bluebirds on your land. Okay? <laughs> you know what I'm talking about. The machinery companies. Uh, I see that you're not in agreement with the use of chemicals or fertilizer. That's I can see my, that. I have a son-in-law who just hey, retired. Uh, okay. Okay. No. I, I asked the question. I got a son-in-law. a professor retired of agriculture, mm -hmm. and we have some good debates about it. Okay. He agrees that you're killing the land by spraying it. Number one. And you you never answered the question 
of relative what's the gamblers of the world stock market okay. and the pricing. And yeah. to subsidize the U.S. on their farmers, you don't get any subsidies here. Mm-hmm. Keep the answers brief. Yeah, okay. Okay, well, when you talk about the use of chemicals on the farmland, everybody has an opinion on that. I will tell you right now that if if we didn't have access to some of the technology that we have today, where would our production be? Um, I know there are are people that believe in organic farming, and I, I have nothing against organic farming except that my production on my farm is far outstrips any production on an organic farm. And that's a, that's a choice of any farmer that wants to get into the business. So uh, when we talk about uh, the size of machinery, I'll be quite honest with you. I haven't bought a brand-new tractor since 1981. I'm running an older tractor because I can't afford, I can't see investing that kind of money in this. But when you get to the size of machinery, I will tell you that in the farming that we're doing today, we're much more environmentally friendly to the atmosphere and the land we're farming than we were uh, 20 years ago. Uh, number one, my tractor makes one pass over that ground. I seed the crop. When I look at my farming operation 25 years ago, I made five passes in a summer with that same tractor, summer following. Now, is that good for the atmosphere? I'm using way more diesel fuel. And it's not good for the soil. I can tell you right now on my farm, if you... You would have went out on my farm in, in 25 years ago and dug around in the soil, and a good indication of soil uh, health is the amount of earthworms you can find. Couldn't find hardly any. You know, I go out, and when I'm seeding now to check my depth, move the soil, and there's hundreds of earthworms there. So what, our method of farming has improved our soil. I don't think anybody can die that. When you talk about the huge uh, funds investing and their their impact on the on the grain prices, I won't deny that the the huge money funds are are speculating in our marketplace. But price discovery, especially in grain industry, is all based on speculation. If we didn't have speculators in that marketplace, we wouldn't have any price discovery mechanism. They're just important to the industry as, as anything else. If somebody isn't willing to speculate where the price of grain is going to go or how much production there is in the world, we won't have any any price discovery mechanism for for grain. And yes, there, we're getting into a situation where we have wild fluctuations from year to year in the price of grain. That's not necessarily due to these speculators. It's due to world demand. There's much more world demand for what we're growing now than there was 10 years ago. And there's a real fear in the world that some people are going to go hungry. Now, now when we now and the last one you want yeah, just a minute. And the last one you want to bring up is about the subsidization of the U, U.S. farmer. I showed it on my charts. How is it they're being subsidized? And you said they were selling for cheaper than we were. How is it they're still getting a dollar a bushel more than we are? Okay, next question. Yeah, I just have more of a comment and suggestion. I'll use my name, my, please. Okay, yeah, I'm Greg Bylabziski. Bottle of whiskey, real short. Um, I'm a Canadian wheat border representative living in uh, living in Lethbridge here. So I just wanted to acknowledge first off uh, Sapka and uh, Mr. Brian Otto for attending this. This is a great uh, great opportunity to bring up things. But uh, Mr. Otto, you brought up a lot of views as far as uh, you know the Canadian wheat board. I just would like to suggest maybe the SAP, uh, SACPA is that if we can hear from a uh, bring in a Canadian wheat board. 
uh, elected director to hear some of the opposing views on the wheat board rather than you know than hearing that. But I respect Mr. Otto's uh, uh, views, but it's necessary to hear the other side. And I just wanted somewhere down the line, maybe we can um, schedule a, uh, a director coming at a future meeting. But uh, it's really good. I, I appreciate uh, the opportunity to uh, have this uh, have this public forum. So thank you. Thank you. Any other questions? No other questions? Okay. Okay. Good. Thank you very much for listening. We got, got a question? Oh, Gordon. <clears throat> Go ahead, Gordon. We got 15 minutes, I think. Beacha. <laughs> Beth Mundell Atherstone. Um, thank you very much, Brian. Um, really enjoyed your presentation, especially your charts comparing uh, 1975 with now. Um, I'm not a farmer. I don't understand this at all. But um, I remember when we moved here, my husband Henning said that the farmers were getting one cent out of the dollar for a price of a loaf of bread, which I think is just absolutely abominable. Um, you mentioned 13 cents now, but I talked to you at the break, and you said <laughs> maybe that's stretching it. Maybe the farmers aren't getting 13 cents on the price of a loaf of bread now. Anyway, that's just an aside. <clears throat> When you were doing your comparisons of um, then and now in terms of prices and bushels, bushels per acre, um, at our table we were discussing how, how can you possibly make it now unless you're getting more bushels per acre? I think, uh, I think in some cases it was almost three times the bushels per acre that you needed in order to make mm -hmm. your bottom line. Do you remember which which table I'm referring to. So has your bushels per acre production increased two to three times um, so that you can actually... Yes, is that the one? That one? Uh, That's to cover all my costs. Yes, to cover your costs. So are you, are you making more bushels per, per acre? And if so, how? Okay, well, what I haven't shown on that, and I, and I probably should have, is some of the other crops that we grow. Um, to be quite blunt, uh, wheat has become a rotational crop in Western Canada. Farmers are making uh, quite a bit more money uh, on it over average period of years off of some of the other crops that they grow. Um, and I haven't got, I've got crop insurance records. I've always carried crop insurance on my farm, my whole farming career. So I've got about 38 years of crop insurance yield records of my farm. Where it's where it's gone from in 1973 when I started farming till now, my average yields have increased, uh, especially in the last uh, 15 years. My average yields have increased about five bushels the acre on the wheats, on the barley's. Uh, my average yields are around 10 bushels the acre, but some of the other crops that I grow, the yellow mustard, uh, the safflower, uh, are major contributors to our cash flow in most years. You can count on those two crops, especially to contribute significantly to the the bottom line of our farm. Uh, wheat, uh, just to be honest with you, uh, the beginning of last year when I was doing my farm plan, and I always, like I said, do it in January, uh, I can adjust it a little bit, but I've got a program that I use that I get from Farm Credit Canada 
and I can plug in all my costs and my expected yields, and I use my crop insurance average yields to do that. When I was doing that crop plan last fall or last spring a year ago, the only crops that looked like they were going to pay anything back in a, in a profit way were the spe- the other crops, the 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 uh, yellow mustard, the safflower, uh, malt barley would have paid, um, and the peas. But as we all realized with the drought in Russia and, and uh, Ukraine, though the whole thing turned around, we have significantly higher grain prices for wheat and, and barley right now. So everything worked out. But when you talk about surviving on the farm, it's what I called, always referred to as adaptability. Um, you can't just depend on yield. We have to find a way to be efficient and uh, make sure that our costs of production are as low as we can get them. And uh, so it's, it's all, there's many things you can do, and I talked about it earlier about uh, how we've moved to larger farms. We're using larger machinery, much more efficient, much more friendly to, the, to work with the weather. Uh, weather's the big player here, and if you can seed early, uh, listen to the research. The earlier we seed in the spring, the better chance we have of, of producing a better crop. There's a, a whole basket of, of choices we can make on our farms to, be, to stay in business. Thanks, Brian. I, I just wondered under um, barley and durum and winter wheat, <clears throat> how close are you to the 36 bushels an acre, 34 and 36, or are you way far away from those? Okay, my, my winter wheat average yield on my crop insurance right now is about 41 bushels an acre. Okay. And on the durum, I'm, if I remember correctly, and I should have brought this with me, but it's about 35 or 36 bushels. So durum's, it's a bit iffy. And my barley's around 55 bushel. Thank you. Gordon? Gordon, did you have a... Okay. Anyone else a question? John? I'm sure. John McIntyre. I'm sure it was probably due to time constraints because I thought I saw uh, something mentioning this on one of your slides that you had to go through. I think one of the... Um, Big difficulties with the family farm, particularly uh, away from moderate-sized cities, is the small towns that are going under. Uh, there's not a church there. The schools, most most children are uh, bus quite a distance. Um, how can we save some of these towns to make the quality of life for a young farm family <coughs> worthwhile, that they're not just single-dimensional on the farm, but... Have, have a bit of a life in, in other aspects too. Uh, yes, the, the especially where I'm at, uh, we're an hour south of Lethbridge at Warner. Um, the shrinking of the rural communities is, is, is a major concern. I won't deny that. Um, there are a few things that I think are working in the benefit of the rural communities and uh, and I know in Warner especially, uh, just witnessing what's happening in the last 10 years, it's become a retirement community. There are people that move there from B.C. to retire there. Now, that's double-edged sword because they're only there six months of the year and then they're south. They're gone. <laughs> but it's, it's um, the cost of living is less. That's why some people choose to live that, and they like living in the rural community. Now, when it comes to young people in the schools... 
Um, I remember when our kids were going through Warner, and it was a small school then. There was less than 200 kids in the school, and there's less than, I think there's less than 100 now. Um, at some point, you have to decide as a parent, you know, are they going to get the education they need in these small rural schools? And that's a consideration you, that every parent has to, to weigh. Uh, and it, it comes down to consolidation of schools in the end. Now with Warner, they took a we, you know, we took a proactive approach. We've got the the Warner Girls Hockey School there, um, but it still doesn't solve the issue of the young kids coming into the school. I mean, there's still, you you know, that's a grades uh, K to 12. We say kindergarten to grade 12 and under the roof. But when you don't have a lot of young kids coming in, then you you have to make some hard decisions, and those have to still be made. Uh, Living in the rural communities for a younger generation, I would say, especially here in Alberta, I th uh, uh, there's some positives going on. When we twinned the highway from Coots all the way north, I mean, I just look at my trip into Lethbridge. It cut 15 minutes off that trip because you're not fighting traffic all the way to Lethbridge. You're driving with the traffic going coming and you're driving with the traffic going out. So when you talk about mobility, it's a lot easier. So the younger families, uh, especially when they, like I know my son likes to, him and his wife uh, belong to the Lethbridge Running Club, so that's a big part of their life. So if they were living on the farm, would they be able to do that? I know we, uh, when our kids were going to school, we wore out two Suburbans running them back and forth to piano lessons and, and riding horses and whatever. So it's a decision you have to make in the rural, rural community if you're willing to put those miles on vehicles to, to do that. Um, when it comes to amenities like a grocery store or a hardware store, yeah, Warner's down to uh, down to one grocery store now. So, one but last question, Knut. I don't want to steal the show, but uh, since nobody else is asking questions, <laughs> I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about demographics. Uh, you're probably one of the Younger thinking, older farmers. <laughs> uh, I'm still young at heart. <laughs> it's, I think it's pretty important to know that uh, if it was up to the younger farmers, there would be no more. Uh, the wheat board would not have monopoly on the market system in Canada anymore. Hmm. Uh, do you see? Uh, do you see the older farmers uh, giving up? Anytime soon to let the younger guys decide where the, where we're going to go. Well, don't blame this whole system on the older farmers. There's some of us that still would like to see it change, but um, I guess I'll go back to my my experience in last year's uh, uh, Canadian Wheat Board election when I was running in this district and uh, talking to producers across here and and. There are there, the younger producers perceive that the older producers are are the ones that are preserving the system right now, because a lot of the ones that I talked to, most of the ones I talked to, actually felt that the wheat board wasn't meeting their needs. It was in, it was really had a, a negative effect on their ability to manage their operations. Um, the Canadian Wheat Board uh, does a survey. Uh, every year, they're going to do. They do them. They're going to do them twice a year now. But anyway, it's a survey to uh, survey producers in their district and how well they're meeting their needs. 
At least that's what they say it's for. I have another opinion, but I'm not going to voice that one. But anyway, uh, in that survey, one of the questions that they did ask is, you know, uh, the level of support from the farmers for the single desk. And uh, in that survey, they broke it down into age groups. And they had the age group of uh, between 40 and 60, I believe, or 45 and 60, I can't remember, over 60, and then under the ages of 40. When they looked at their survey results, there was significant and strong uh, support for the single desk out of the age group 60 and over. But when you went to the age group 40 and under, was 23% support. And that's to me, is a pretty uh, significant uh, result. It's telling me, and should be telling the board, that they're going to have to change if they're going to meet the needs of the younger generation. And that is the future of this industry. If we don't start meeting their needs, it's going to be pretty hard for them to survive. So... Uh, I would suggest that they should be talking a little more to the younger generation, and us older guys will 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 still be around. But it's the young guys that we've got to keep in the business. Okay. Thank you. Uh, Thanks very much, for everybody.